With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to this cool kids table that we have designed as a way to have access to people who are making waves in the business world. We talk to CEOs, CIOs, CMOs, etc. We also talk to consultants and authors and just lots of people who are doing really smart things and helping people find their way. And I'm really excited about today's show. But before we jump into that, I have a recommendation for you. That is another podcast that I would love it if you would go check out. And that is the National Speakers Association's brand new podcast that they released in January 2021 called Speakernomics. This show comes out every week and it's all about making more money and being more successful if you use the spoken word as part of your business. Now, that could be for professional speakers, trainers, facilitators, but also people who speak to promote their business, uh, podcasters, others, anyone who uses the spoken word. And I have the honor to be the host of that show. I've partnered with the National Speakers Association to make that happen. And it would mean a lot to me if you would go check it out, subscribe, maybe even leave one of those reviews that says, I love this show. The host is brilliant. All right, back to today's episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Today we have Minter Dial. Now, he calls himself a shit stirrer, and I kind of like that in the way he described himself. He's a shit stirrer, a storyteller, and a documentary filmmaker. He also is somebody who ran a major division for L'Oreal uh, as their CEO of that, that division of the company and has served time working in and with and alongside that, that C-suite of people. So he knows how to make waves and how to make things happen. So Minter, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom, a great pleasure to be on the show. And I must say, I actually participated in a speakernomics room on Clubhouse. So I saw you in action with regard to speaking colleges. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we did. Uh, we're, we're doing rooms in Clubhouse under the speakernomics name, sort of as a way to promote the show. But it's also sure. been a great way to connect to a lot of speakers who are doing some really interesting things out there. So thanks for being in that room. So I don't really read the bios that people send, so I gave a little little taste of who you are. Could you kind of concisely tell us who you are and what makes you awesome? Well, um, concisely, as you get older, it gets, it gets longer and longer. 15 country changes, 32 home changes. I speak roughly eight languages and married to one delicious lady with two kids living in London and Paris and outside of the fact that I worked at L'Oreal for 16 years as a senior executive, I've also practiced 12 different professions like uh, teaching tennis. I wasn't good enough to earn it just playing tennis. And I worked in a zoo, an aquarium. I started a travel agency for musicians. And um, yeah, I worked in an investment bank for four years for my troubles. So 
You're fascinating because you have this extravagantly eclectic background. So tell me a little bit about why having such an eclectic background and being willing, obviously, to say yes to things. Why has that led you to more success? Well, I think I've been open to learning so many different things. And so in the end of the day, I'm, I'm an expert at nothing, but I'm good at connecting dots. And I'm also good at connecting people. And by having this diversity of, of a, you know, tapestry of things that I've touched, I feel like I can put things in, and my neurons are always going off when I connect these different, maybe disparate ideas for people who are experts in the zone and helping pulling those together. And then um, I, I love the idea of working in an industry I don't know, but bringing what I do know in, another, in other cases into that industry to help try to be the firecracker, the shit stirrer that I'd like to be. So you have a book coming out now called You Lead. And I think the if I get the subtitle correctly, it's How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. So let's talk a little bit about this book because I'm, I'm, I have not read it, but I'm captivated by this whole idea of being yourself because I think we live in a world, especially with our social media sort of fascination where people are always putting on facades. You don't really see the real person. And I kind of like to be who I am. In fact, the best compliment I ever got uh, as a professional speaker was someone I went to college with 30 years ago was in the audience. And afterwards he said, wow, you're the same person on stage. You were at the fraternity house drinking a beer 30 years ago. You're, you're kind of the same guy. And I thought that is a huge compliment. And so I will wear that proudly. So tell us about the book and why being yourself, why does it make you a better leader? Well, you know, the irony of it, some level, Tom, is that we're in a very individualistic society where it's all about me. But the irony is we don't even know who me is. We present this other version of me. We Instagram me. We, we put on a tie and we become the corporate me. We think we need to have all these gadgets and, and houses and 2.3 kids. But at the end of the day, we haven't done the work to understand who we are. And because of that gap, the pretense of who we think we are and who we really are, we end up doing and being rather shitty in the way we are managing people. We don't listen in. We're more interested in what I've got to tell you as opposed to listening to what you want to tell me, what you need to tell me. And, and then we get into different pretenses. And of course, we bring in the old friend, the ego, into work. And if you can avoid those types of traps and just listen in on who you are and not need to dominate somebody, not need to win the argument, then you'll find yourself in a better win-win situation, potentially listening to what the real challenges are underneath. So, but you've worked in the world of large companies and, and the, the executive level of those large companies. This is something that, that goes back farther than the social media age. I mean, there's been big egos going me, 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 me at the top levels of things for a long time. So, from a corporate standpoint, you know, social media aside, I'm going to touch on that in a minute. From a corporate standpoint, how do people, you know, how do they even discover who they are and, and do some of our bosses even care? Well, I would probably say a lot of people don't care. They haven't really cottoned on to the power of doing this work. And then others are scared of doing it because they might find out that actually underneath they don't like the person that they are. And the challenge is, you know, without being a shrink or anything, you do need to be comfortable with the dark side of yourself. All the way through your imperfections. I know you had a guest on your show that talks about imperfections. 
But you, you really also, if you really want to be good at it, you need to know your dark side all the way up through the light and the beautiful side, the positive sides that we're used to talking about. But showing those sides of ourselves in a corporate space where it's all about image, forget social, but just image in general, well, I'm perfect. And I constantly want to present that. And once I presented it, I can't come back. So I need to be consistent. Oh, I said that before. I stand for my word. That's who I am. And then we come up on this hill and all of a sudden we can't come back down to mix with our reality, which everyone else is living. And so finding the way to come into work and, and say, hey, listen, I'm feeling crappy today, Tom. It's okay. It's okay not to be perfect every day. It's in, in fact, that's what's going to grab your attention. And, you know, I worked in L'Oreal and I certainly struggled with this concept in a world that's filled with perfect image, right? I mean, that's what you do is you nip and tuck every photograph that's ever been put out of L'Oreal. And that's how you are within, that's how you are without. And the idea of crying in, in an organization which is filled with testosterone and, oh, you're being a weako, you're, you know, who are you? what is this sissiness? And, and the power of showing your real emotions, it's, it's extraordinarily transformational, but very, very rare do you get the opportunity. It's just more like you want to get shot down or you feel like you're going to get shot down, which puts up this whole protection layer. And that's why it's so hard to do. So I worked with an attorney one time who was kind of a jerk, but he actually was the sweetest teddy bear of a nice guy when you knew him. And I was the marketing director of the firm. And I asked him one time, why, why do you do that? Why are you such a pain in the ass to everybody? And he said, well, I'm a litigator. So you have to be. He was taught as a young lawyer, be a jerk to everybody because then they'll think you're a better litigator. And it was part of his persona. And he didn't want to change. And in the end, he got ended up getting pushed out of several firms and, and all this. And he made a lot of money and he was very successful. But I, I don't think he was I don't think he ever had the fulfilling life that he could have had if he had had more. You know, if he'd done that work to discover who he really was, because I found him to be delightful because he let me in but he didn't let a lot of people in. So my question to you is, you know, what do you do about the people who, who think they need that facade to be a successful executive because that's what they were taught? How, how do you even get them to be willing to look at themselves? Well, the, the biggest incitement to get a you know, look into your underneath your kimono is do it now before your world blows up. The number of times I have come across people who are dicks and pretend to be nice on the outside, that gap will have a consequence, not just on your work. You might get fired. You live by the sword, you will die by the sword. You ask, you need to be fired. That will happen the minute your results don't come in. And, and then worse than that and far bigger is you're looking at yourself in the mirror. What do you see? And I think that a lot of people then when they hit that sort of, as you get older in life, you like, you look in the mirror, you're shaving for the God knows umpteenth time. And you're like, I'm not really sure I like the guy in the mirror because he's that dicky attorney fellow. Or, you know, you take doctors. It's another thing, you know, like you, I don't care if they're nice by the bed. I really want them to do good surgery, but still you are, that's 24, 24 hours. That's you. And you can't excise yourself and be somebody else for 12 hours a day and then pretend you're the nice guy on the side. You know, that that becomes you. And what happens is on top of the fact that your friends don't really like you is that you don't like yourself and you end up with a whole other issue, which probably 
comes out in some form of poor health. So do it before you blow up. So in my own world, I, I sort of did some expo- exploration about a year and a half ago. And a year ago, I sort of started studying. Originally, it was Buddhism. And then I switched over to to Tao, uh, to Taoism. And I have found a lot to be very interesting in some of these Eastern teachings. And then also in really understanding how to meditate. So a lot of people are like, oh, and I did this for years. I can't meditate. I can't quiet my mind. I tried meditation. I'd read about meditation and I couldn't do it until I did it. And then the last year, I don't think I've missed a day in a year where I haven't spent between 10 and 20 minutes really clearing my mind and doing that. And had I not done that before the pandemic hit and my business collapsed, I think I very well could have been in the corner crying for months, but I was able to get in touch with myself and what's important. So does some of the stuff that you're teaching overlap with, with sort of meditation and, and Eastern philosophy? It does. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not at all religious, but I, I, I mean, I have a little Buddha in front of me along right beside Jerry Garcia and a piece of Lego. And, 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 these- and wait a minute, those three things should totally go together. <laughs> right. I, I think Lego, Jerry Garcia and Buddha, there's your next book. They, they, they accompany me every day. And so being present is such a critical element of it. Outside of hearing and feeling yourself, it's your ability to listen. And if there is one skill that the ego monster, big titled, super wealthy and, and successful individual tends to forget is how to listen. Listen to the stranger, listen to the, the cashier, listen to your child that's bugging you because what I'm doing is far more important than, oh, (laughs) maybe it's not so important. (laughs) Be present. So here's the thing. Before we got started, you also talked to me a little bit about this whole idea on purpose. And there's so many people out there who are like, know your purpose, understand your purpose. What is your why? Your purpose, your purpose, your purpose. But you made a comment to me that I wrote down, and, and I didn't explore it with you before we started the interview, but I think this is fascinating. You said purpose isn't, and I'm paraphrasing, something to the effect of purpose is important, but don't be tyrannical about it. Hmm. Let's unpack that a little bit, because I love, I love the concept of that, is purpose is important, but you know, don't overdo it. What does that mean? Well, so I'm going to phrase this in a way that I, I try to be pragmatic in, in everything I do. I've written a book about empathy. So you might expect me to be, you know, the the tyrant of empathy. Well, I absolutely do not subscribe to that. I believe it's about being more empathic than you are. And for that, you need to know who you are in the first place and how empathic you are in the first place to be able to be more empathic. But by no means am I asking you to be always empathic every day with everybody because that's just going to drive you crazy and you're never going to do anything. Same thing with purpose at some level. You need to be profitable. If you're purposeful, but not profitable, you are useless. So you absolutely have to be pragmatic in your approach. And I, I, tend, to, I tend to put purpose in three different levels. I, I subscribe to the idea of purpose being meaningful. And so you don't have to necessarily fix famine in the world. However, you can do things that are meaningful at a local level and it has to be beyond you. But there are three levels of, of this. And the first is you can find meaningfulness and purpose in a project. Oh, that's a really tough project, Tom. You know, it's going to be really difficult to do. And, and by achieving it, you're going to feel good. Because I, 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 I overcame difficulty with my team. We got this thing. It was great. That was our purpose. 
That's level one. It's, a, it's wonderful. It has its place in the world. The second one is you have a purpose and it's meaningful. It's beyond just your company, but it doesn't link in with who you are. So it's, it, you know, at the worst level, it's, oh, well, we give 10% of our profit to a charity. At, at a higher level, it can be something that's meaningful, like we do drugs that save the world, but it's, there's no tangible spe- piece of it that really resonates with why you are working on a specific drug. So I'll give you an example. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I would much rather try to find a drug that's with regard to type 1 diabetes and juveniles. I got it late onset. Or I might be interested in in multiple sclerosis because I have someone in my family who has that. So there's a, a, a real personal link into the purpose of our company. So it's not just any type of pharmaceutical company. So which are all potentially doing good. How is it linking with you? And then once you move from there, you need to go from you to the rest of the team. And how does it link in with them at a more personal level? Anyway, that's just to give you sort of the landscape of how to create, the, create purpose. And rather than think that's the only thing, it just needs to be embedded within. So purpose is important, but it's not everything. Yes, sir. Awesome. So I've got a couple more questions for you. This is a lot of fun, but first... I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Mentor Dial. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So I used to call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? Is it your book? What's the what's the most exciting, cool thing you've got going on? So I wrote a book on empathy, as I mentioned, artificial empathy. And I I try to motivate people to consider being more empathic. And the thing I do is at least during this pandemic, I've been doing it basically every two times a month. I do an empathy circle and an empathy circle is a two hour moment where you become present with yourself and up to four other individuals. And for those two hours, you're going to practice listening and reformulating. And it is exceptional the power of doing that over two hours with four other strangers, the connection you make, and the realization of how shitty you are as a listener in general. What'd you say? No, I'm kidding. I was listening. Um, So I bet some of the people listening to this podcast just had the same sort of internal, like little visceral reaction that I had when you said the empathy circle is two hours in a small group being in touch with how, you know, empathetic you are. I thought, Oh my God, that makes me uncomfortable which is probably a reason I should do it. So what do people find who, who do this empathy circle? What is, I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable. What, what is the result? Well, it's very hard to persuade people. It's very abstract. 
why am I going to dedicate two, two hours of my, my time? And I typically want to do this with people who are at the C-suite. You know, so these are two, there are two challenges. One is I have no time for this sort of stuff. And two, wait, I'm perfect at listening, right? I'm, I'm already the CEO. And I'm, I'm all, I'm all uh, dominant. So what happens is that they get into it. And generally speaking, the first hour is, is predictably, I'm just going to tell you what I need to tell you. Because we're going to talk about a topic you haven't necessarily, you don't dominate. You might have rehearsed or practiced or thought about some of it. And in the first hour, you deliver that's top of mind, you know, show I'm really great. I'm going to tell you the stuff. And then, and then what happens is in the second hour, you kind of relax into it. Like, well, actually, they're not that much better at this than I am. They're interesting people too. And the concepts and the conversation becomes a build on what someone else just said before me. So all of a sudden, you find conversation is much richer when you listen, as opposed to needing to say and tell, you know, tell your story. And at the end, they all, there's an inevitable feeling of, wow, I feel peaceful. I feel energized because I've connected with four strangers in a way I've never connected before. And I'm realizing that I could do so much more if I listened more deeply because there's a whole technique to it, right? It's not just listen. It, there's a practice to it. Anyway, this is called, it's a structured dialogue. So how does one find out if, if that, if, if that interests somebody, how does somebody sign up for it? What does it cost? Where do they go? How often do you offer it? All right. So I, I generally do it on a bespoke manner and I do it within organizations. It's really useful for dealing with uh, conflict. Uh, but it, it, it's a really useful tool to do for a C-suite. And I, I, uh, you just need to contact me and I set it up, but it's always bespoke because it depends on the organization, how many people, how many times, but I, I, I've, I've had great success with it. It's a, it's actually during this pandemic been really useful for people to, to, to connect in with people, strangers in general. Of course, in, in the case of, of a company that's doing it, they all know each other, but the result is you know each other differently. So this book you lead, when does it come out and how do people get it? So it came out in January. Right. It's good. And it, uh, it's now available in, of course, on an ebook and paper book and even those who are crazy hard, hardcover. And in April, it's going to come out in audible audiobook. Um, do, you, do you read it? Do you read it yourself or did you have a voice oh, actor? I, no, I got an actor this time. I've done two of my books with my own voice. And I really enjoyed that process because I, one of the things I did, I, I mean, Tom, we, we talked a little bit off, I've done this film. Uh, and what's interesting about this film, I studied, I took 25 years to come up with the story. I interviewed 130 veterans of the Second World War. It's, you know, it's a deep texture. And, you know, I have a lot of profound knowledge of the subject. But then what I did is I explored telling the story in eight different media and, and what was fun was seeing how the, the different media changes the nature of the story and how you can overdo pathos or not according to the media, the, the medium you use. Wow. You've just brought up a super interesting topic at the exact end of the interview. So let's, let's go for another minute here. Um, so you wrote this book and then you went to eight other mediums to tell the story. And it changes the way you tell a story. So this is something that's so important 
for people to think about because we tell our story when we're talking and speaking to somebody. We tell our story when we're on stage. Maybe you're making a video. In your case, a documentary. There's a book. Let's talk about the different ways. What were the eight ways you told you you told the story? And and a couple little quick tidbits about how that changes how. All right. So um, I, I did an infographic. I did a poem. I I play guitar, so I, I wrote a song. I have done it as a trailer, a two-minute story by film. I've done a 16-minute version of it, and then I've done a 27-minute film of it. And I've also written it as three film scripts, two of which have character development, and one of which is only by action. And, of course, I've written a full biography and then one that's for the public. So I've actually done a number of, you know, let's say different versions of it with, with regard to certain media. And, and here's the, here's the big nuance that I have. When we, uh, and I really applaud Josh Shelov, my director for the, for the big film, which is on PBS. It's called the last ring home. There's such a need to underplay pathos when it comes to film music, big stories, allow, allow the, the consumer the, of the film to make up some of the story themselves. Don't, don't oversay, allow for a little bit of mystery, allow for the gaps to be filled by the individual looking at it, as opposed to hitting them over the head with some sort of ice pick, to quote Frank Zappa. It's... Um, it's, it's remarkable how you can tell and make a very moving story without being overly moving. There's so much there. The part that stands out in my mind when I'm thinking about executives listening to this is I want to hear from any executive who hears this or anyone who listens who has a boss who's done this. How many C-level executives have written a song or a poem about the message that their company is trying to share. There's something about that that seems on one level ludicrous and on another level, like that might be a brilliant thing for leaders to have to do is write a poem or a song about what your company is doing to serve. I love it, Tom. It's really tapping into another part of your brain. And we, we often talk, you know, you, you and I are both speakers and I definitely appreciate all the work at the national speakers association storytelling. But if you can practice other forms of storytelling, it actually can put in relief the practice that you usually do. It makes changes and you start seeing how it's different. And you're doing 30 second spots, but try working in, in what are you trying to say in a poem and how important are the words that you choose and the, the meter that you might want to use. And when you go for a song, where, where are you going to change the key? These are, I mean, you know, you, you live in a, in a town I love speaking at, a little conference that often used to happen. South by Southwest, I miss it so That's much. I can't, wait. I can't wait till the return of a real South by Southwest. No doubt. Let me tell you a thing. I mean, over here in, in Europe, you know, there are plenty of people who come, but I, I consistently fail to get the big CEOs to come with me. And I tell them every time, it is the place to go and don't go to the digital side of it. Go check out the music and the film, because if you really want to be a storyteller, well, shit, 
That's all they do. And so go over there, practice being yourself. Because by the way, if you're singing, you're, you, you are yourself. I mean, of course you have images and versions of you, but you're being you and you are sweating on stage. You're pushing out and trying to deliver a performance, an experience. And, you know, experience marketing, we talk about that. It's not trying to manage everything, control the end. Go see how a, song, a singer captures the audience, listens, interacts, and, and, and yet performs. Anyway, so I think South By is an amazing opportunity for real business leaders who are one-on-one real brands. So while you were talking, I wrote a poem about this podcast. Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast for those who lead. If you listen, you may discover how to grow your business with speed. 30 minutes twice a week, and we will speak to your inner geek. Subscribe and download uh, to this show and guests like Minter will help you grow. Wow. That was my poem. <laughs> I, gotta, I have to, I have to <laughs> play something in there. The sound, the sound effect. Come on. Boom. So, That's it. so with that, I think we have to leave it for today. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more. How do they find you? Well, I have the benefit of this kooky name. Um, that was my grandfather's about whom the film was made. Minterdial.com. I'm M dial on most of the social media, like Instagram and Twitter. And I have my own podcast that's uh, weirdly called Minter Dialogue. Ah, very clever. I like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do this? The whole idea is to bring these interviews and hopefully inspire you to be able to uh, change and grow and expand in your career and in your leadership. So thank you very much. Tune in twice a week. Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, there's going to be more interviews with people just as cool as Mentor. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles, make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall. And while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun. Go have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.